Good morning, and welcome back to our daily meditations for Lent. Uh, many of you who follow us on YouTube or subscribe to us on YouTube would have seen our community post. Um, those of you who, who don't, <clears throat> I'm sure noticed that we did not have a meditation yesterday. Um, I was traveling for my day job and um, just had a laptop with me, didn't have my nice camera, nice microphone. And um, for anyone who watched the Tuesday night live stream uh, with uh, Joshua Charles would have noticed that my audio was terrible. <laughs> and while that's not the end of the world for a live stream where Anthony and, and Joshua Charles are doing uh, most of the talking, it would be very bad to do one of these daily meditations with terrible audio. So I did not put one of these out yesterday. And today we'll just knock two out at once. So we will knock out day eight, the sign of Jonah, and day nine, knock. All kind of together here. So um, these are pretty short meditations, so it shouldn't add a ton of extra time or anything like that. And um, once again, these meditations are coming from uh, Meditations for Lent by Bishop Jacques Bossuet. This is published by Sophia Institute Press. I'm going to throw up an image here on screen. There won't be anything to look at. So just listen to the meditations. These go up on YouTube, Spiritus TV, and also audio podcast. <clears throat> okay, so here comes the image. And let's get started. So this is the meditation for day eight which is Wednesday of the first full week of Lent, the sign of Jonah. Jonah did not want to go to the Ninevites and preach doom. He feared that if God were to pardon them, as his immense goodness he was wont to do, the pagans would be confirmed in their unbelief and would have contempt for the Lord's threats and for the words of his prophets. Impelled by the prophetic spirit, which was pressing upon him internally, Jonah said to God, Lord, this is a message that I cannot deliver, for I know that you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in mercy, and that you repent of evil and are always ready to forgive men their iniquities. Jonah 4.2 You will once again pardon this unbelieving city. They will no longer listen to those who speak in your name. In vain we will in vain will we make known the rigor of your judgments to Judah and Israel. Your ease and indulgence will harden men in their evil. O Lord, said Jonah, take my life. For it is better for me to die, Jonah four eight, than to be found a lying prophet and to expose prophecy to derision. In his extreme distress, not only did Jonah seek to avoid hearing the prophecy, but he fled from the Lord taking ship at Joppa to go to the other end of the world. 
we must not persuade ourselves that the Holy Prophet believed that he could pass out of God's sight or leave God's empire by traveling to a far-off land. After all, we will soon hear him say to the mariners, I am a Hebrew, and I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. Jonah 1.9 Jonah knew full well that it was impossible to escape God's power or to leave his kingdom. The face of God that he was attempting to flee, this presence that he wished to avoid, was the face that God shows interiorly to his prophets. This is the presence by which he enlightens their spirit when he sees fit to inspire them. This was the face that Jonah believed he could escape by separating himself from the Holy Land and from the people of Israel, where God had been accustomed to pour forth prophecy. He fled, therefore, both the Holy Land and Nineveh at once, not believing that God would want to bring him back against his will. But he had no sooner gone on board when the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea, and there was a mighty tempest on the sea, so that the ship threatened to break up. While each cried to his God with horrible wailing, and they threw the wares that were in the ship into the sea to lighten the load, Jonah, without wondering at his great peril, for we often see that those strong souls who are under the hand of God fear nothing but him alone, went down to the inner part of the ship and had lain down and was fast asleep. Jonah 1, 4 through 5. In this he was like Jesus who in a similar storm slept peacefully on a cushion and allowed the waves to fill the boat in which he was with his disciples. Mark 4, 37-38 By a similar mystery, and to show that we have nothing to fear when God is with us, and that all we can do in any event is to abandon ourselves to his will, Jonah slept amid the wailing and terrible clamor of the wind and waves until he was awakened in just about the same manner the Savior was, when they said to him, What do you mean, you sleeper? Arise, call upon your God. Perhaps the God will give a thought to us that we do not perish. Jonah 1.6 The hand of God never left his holy prophet. Jonah immediately sensed that the storm had been sent against him. Calmly he watched the passengers cast lots to discover the cause of the storm. He saw the lot fall on himself without fear, for he pref he preferred to die than to prophesy. Be contradicted and see prophecy blasphemed. Jonah 4.3 He spoke boldly to the mariners who wished to spare him. Throw me into the sea without delay. Then the sea will quiet down for you, for I know it is because of me that, they, that this great tempest have, has come. <clears throat> excuse me, that this great tempest has come upon you, Jonah 1.12. Astonished by his extraordinary calm, they respected him, and, even more, the greatness of the God he served. They made their utmost effort to re regain land without accosting his life, but the more they rowed, the more the sea rose, until they were constrained to throw Jonah into the sea, taking God as their witness that they drowned him only with regret and were innocent of his death. Immediately, the sea ceased from its raging. Jonah 1.15 And here already, in prefigurement of our Savior, all the people were saved from death, as they believed by the Holy Prophet, who had voluntarily offered himself for them.
Yet this is not the whole of the mystery. The rest is explained by the Savior himself. An evil and adulterous generation seeks for a sign, but no sign shall be given to it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. For as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the whale, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. The spirit of prophecy did not abandon Jonah in the belly of that enormous fish, for he sang this divine canticle, Out of the belly of Sheol I cried, and you heard my voice. The waters closed in over me, the deep was round about me. Yet you brought up my life from the pit, O Lord my God. And the Lord spoke to the fish, and it vomited out Jonah upon the dry land. Jonah 2.10 As a prefigurement, it did not belong to Jonah, who was only the prefigurement, to have all the characteristics of the truth, nor to have that liberty with respect to death that was reserved to the Savior alone, nor to predict his own death and resurrection. But there is hardly anything better, anything that better resembles death in the tomb than the belly of that fish, nor is there a more vivid image of a true and perfect resurrection than the deliverance of Jonah. Let us then adore the one who left, not an iota, not a dot, Matthew 5.18, of either the prophets or the law accomplished. Let us, <clears throat> let us learn never to lose hope, no matter into what abyss of troubles we are cast. For Jonah came out of the belly of the whale, and Jesus Christ from the tomb and from hell, thus assuring his faithful ones of their own deliverance. Okay, so that was the meditation for yesterday. Now we move on to the meditation for day nine, Thursday of the first full week of Lent. Knock. Ask. Seek. Knock. Matthew 7, 7. These are the three degrees, and, as it were, the three pleas that must be made with perseverance, blow upon blow. But what, mu what must we ask of God in order to emerge from this worse-than-bestial condition in which sin has placed us? We must learn from these words of St. James. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives to all men generously and without reproaching. But let him ask in faith, with no doubting. James 1, 5-6 This is what our Lord himself teaches us. Truly I say to you, if you have faith and never doubt, even if you say to this mountain, be taken up and cast into the sea, it will be done. Whatever you ask in prayer, you will receive if you have faith. Matthew 21, 21-22 Consider then where your sin has brought you and ask with faith for your conversion. Even if the weight of your sins be as great as a mountain, pray and your sins will retreat before your prayer. Whatever you ask in prayer, if you have faith and never doubt, you will receive. Jesus purposefully made use of this extraordinary comparison to show that everything is possible to one who prays. So take heart and do not ever despair of your salvation. Knock, persevere in knocking, even to the point of rudeness, if that were possible. There is a way of forcing God in wresting his graces from him, and that way is to ask continually with a firm faith. We must think, with the gospel, ask 
and it will be given you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. Which he then repeats by saying, Everyone who asks receives, and he who seeks finds, and to him who knocks it will be opened. Luke 11, 9-10 We must, therefore, pray during the day, pray at night, and pray every time we rise. Even though God seems either not to hear us or, or even to reject us, we must continually knock, expecting all things from God, but nevertheless also acting ourselves. We must not only ask as though God must do everything himself, we must also make our own effort to act according to his will and with the help of his grace, as all things are done with this support. We must never forget that it is always God who provides, and to think thus is the very foundation of humility. And he told them a parable to the effect that they ought always to pray and not lose heart. Luke chapter 18 verse 1. This perpetual prayer does not consist in a perpetual tension of the mind, which will merely expend all our strength without bringing us to our goal. This perpetual prayer is accomplished when, having prayed the divine office, we glean from our prayer in reading some truth or some word that we keep in our heart and that we effortlessly recall from time to time, while holding ourselves as much as possible in a state of dependence toward God and showing our needs to Him, that is to say, placing them before His eyes without saying anything. Just as the drought-stricken land seems to call out for rain merely by exposing its dryness to the sky, so also does our soul when we place our needs before God. This is what David said, My soul thirsts for you like a parched land. Psalm 143.6 Lord, I do not need to pray to you. My need itself prays, my neediness prays, my necessity prays. As long as this disposition lasts, we pray without praying. As long as we take care to avoid what would imperil us, we pray without praying, and God understands this language. O Lord, before whom I am, before whom all my misery appears, have pity on it. And all the times that it appears to you, O God most good, let it beg your mercies for me. This is one of the ways of praying always, and of them perhaps the most effective. Okay, there we go. Those are our two meditations for today. See, not so long after all, huh? Okay, well, hopefully I don't have to do one of these combined uh, two-day things again. Hopefully I'm able to stick on track to one meditation per day. I will, I promise to, to do my best at that. Uh, but anyways, uh, thank you for uh, joining me for this. Uh, I hope you find these edifying. Um, I hope you are doing well with your Lenten penances. And once again, thank you very much. Um, I appreciate it and have a good day and I'll see you tomorrow.